The bullet that killed Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akleh is revealed for the first time. It's adding to mounting evidence a special Israeli military unit is responsible. Will this force Israel into action and who can conduct a transparent and independent investigation? I'm Fully Batibo and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Well, let's now bring in our guests in Tel Aviv, Ori Givati, Advocacy Director at Breaking the Silence, an organization of Israeli military veterans working to bring an end to the occupation. In Haifa, Sausen Zahir, a human rights lawyer and a board member of the Israeli human rights organization B'Tselem. And in Miami, Ahmed Abuznaid, Executive Director at the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights. Welcome to you all to Inside Story. Thank you very much for being with us. Ori Givati, if I can start with you in Tel Aviv. From your experience uh, serving in the Israeli military, can you tell us first whether the type of bullet that was used in Shireen's killing, the 5.56 caliber, is one that is commonly used by the Israeli military and for what purpose? Yeah, so first of all, thank you, Foley, uh, for inviting uh, uh, me and uh, hello to everyone who participates uh, with me here together. I commend Al Jazeera for continuing to dive deep into this investigation. It's extremely important for anyone who cares about human rights and Palestinian rights. Uh, for your question, look, definitely this bullet is uh, uh, the most common, uh, commonly used bullet in the military, right? The 5.56. Uh, there is definitely a difference with the green tip uh, that, that is shown in the uh, investigation. Al Jazeera uh, conducted in the photo, um, but I'm not an expert of the difference between the different specific types of 5.56. What I can definitely tell you is 5.56 is extremely commonly used, not only in the Israeli military, yeah, it's one of the most commonly used bullets uh, that we have uh, right. generally. Ori, the, the Israelis know which unit was deployed uh, to, to the Janine refugee camp on the day that Shireen was killed, on May 11th. They know this. Would they have investigated and questioned members of, of this unit? What is the process that the military goes through when an incident such as this one happens, when a Palestinian, a civilian, is killed? Look, I think it's extremely important to, to acknowledge the fact that while the military itself uh, has its own kind of internal investigation mechanism, those kind of investigations are not really intended for accountability, right? So it's possible that inside the unit, some, some soldiers were, were questions. I'm, I'm pretty sure that happened. But the intention is not, it's not really accountability for, for, for the result. And I, I can tell you this as a former soldier, I can tell you this from the point of view of over 1,300 soldiers who gave testimony to breaking the silence, that there isn't any mechanism for real accountability. And, and the reason for that is because Israel clearly understands that any real investigation into any of the killing of innocent people, and it's really important to remember that a, a killing of innocent Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza happens on a weekly basis, yeah? Israel clearly understands that if real investigations into these killings will always lead us to the root cause. And the root cause is the occupation, is the fact that we are sending fully armed uh, soldiers of one of, the most strong, uh, one of the strongest armies in the world to fight and shoot inside civilian population. 
And this is what will be discovered in every single type of this investigation. And that's the reason why there is no way for the military to conduct a real serious investigation into these cases. Ori, I'll come back to you in just a few minutes to ask you more about what your organization has uncovered when it comes to the Israeli military's dealings in, in the occupied territory. South and in Haifa, if I can come to you and ask your opinion yeah. about this latest re revelation about the, the type of bullet that killed Shireen Abu Akleh. This in addition to the investigations that have been uh, led by the Palestinian Authority, various news outlets like CNN and the Washington Post. Do you think this will force Israel to take some sort of action now? Well, um, let me begin by saying that until now, there was uh, basically uh, no uh, body or country or institution that said no for an investigation, any kind of investigation. The question is, what type, what frame, and what body. Even the Israelis, from day one, even though they changed their mind <laughs> and they changed the narrative and their story, mm -hmm. they basically said, we are offering the Palestinians to have a, a collaborative um, investigation under the supervision of the USA. But that's not the issue. This is not the question. There are clear evidence, as you mentioned, and as was mentioned in the report, there are clear evidence whether they, that was investigated by the by AP, by Washington Post, by CNN, Palestinian Authority, and on the ground from day one, that all the evidence and witnesses are clear that Shireen was shot even deliberately. She was assassinated deliberately, knowing, she, knowing that she is a journalist doing her job. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, what body should investigate? And this is what Israel will reject. And even I must say, the US will reject. Right. But, but one of the Israeli demands, Halsen, one of the Israeli demands is that the Palestinians hand over this bullet, the bullet that killed Shireen Abu Akleh. And they've been reportedly applying <laughs> pressure on, on the US government to put pressure on the Palestinians to hand over this bullet. Do you think that would make a difference, whether or not Israel gets its hand on, the, on this bullet? Whether or not they they have the bullet, the Israelis' uh, conclusion of any investigation they will do is very clear, that they are not accountable, they are not responsible, and probably, whether we like it or not, they will probably say that this is not our bullet. Mm -hmm. Already from the coverage in the media yesterday and today after Al Jazeera exposed the, uh, uh, the photo of the, uh, of the bullet, the immediate response of the Israelis was, it might not be ours because a lot of people in uh, Jenin, a lot of activists in Jenin have the same bullet and we cannot know if it's from the army or if it's from people in Jenin who were using their guns. Right. So it doesn't matter the bullet is in which hand. I must say that, that Israel will do everything. It doesn't matter in which frame the investigation will be in order to give itself and its soldiers and all the chain of command in the army a, a clear a, a impunity for its a, actions mm -hmm. without relation to the bullet, a, a, if okay. it's in its hand or the... Okay, let me bring Ahmed Abuznaid into the conversation. Ahmed, um, it's likely that the rifle and the bullet that was used to kill Shireen Abu Akleh came from manufacturers in the United States. The U.S., we know, pays for 20% of Israel's military budget. There is a U.S. law, the Leahy Act, which says that the U.S. cannot provide any support or training to any military unit in the world that has carried out uh, human rights violations. How much do you think these latest revelations 
put pressure not just on, on Israel, but on the U.S. government and the Biden administration, which is uh, planning a visit to, to the region very soon? Well, unfortunately, not enough pressure. Uh, let me start off by saying that uh, during the Great March of Return, uh, when uh, the people of Gaza were marching towards the borders uh, of their ancestral homelands, uh, the Israelis released a tweet saying that with 30,000 people marching towards their borders, that they knew where every single bullet landed. Now, if 30,000 people marching and this military feels confident enough to tweet out that they know where every bullet landed, then we should know that from the day Shireen was shot, we knew where the bullet originated uh -huh. and we certainly knew where it landed. And so what we're all talking about here is accountability. And right. what you've referenced with Lehi Law is what we're looking for is accountability and justice. And sadly, we haven't seen enough pressure uh, uh, by the Biden administration, by members of Congress on the state of Israel to provide a fair and credible investigation right. or to, to provide healing for the wound. Do you think right? the upcoming trip by President Biden to the region could be a catalyst, perhaps, to find some answers? I, I think that, you know, Air Force One will fly over Shireen's uh, grave as they land um, in the Holy Land in Palestine, and that will be the closest uh, that President Biden will come to touching the subject. I don't really believe that President Biden or the administration cares for uh, the livelihood of Palestinian Americans or Palestinians on the ground. Again, if you want to heal a wound, the first thing you do is you stabilize that wound and you stop the bleeding. But the people of Masafariyatta are fighting for their lands. The people of Sheikh Jarrah are fighting for the homes. The people of Gaza are still behind a blockade with no accountability for the death and destruction that we saw just last year and over the decades. If we remember, one last point, we knew who had the bomb that blew up an entire media building just last year. And again, the question is, who will hold Israel accountable? And sadly, it is not the United States at this time. Do you think if Shireen Abu Akleh had been uh, an, of another nationality uh, and an American, she has dual citizenship, of course, if she had been, let's say, uh, I don't know, Ukrainian-American, uh, would, would the Biden administration have acted differently? Well, it's clear there's a hypocritical nature with which U.S. foreign policy is applied. We can see that the U.S. has not uh, fallen short of sanctions against states like Russia or Iran, mm -hmm. or you name several other states where they have enacted sanctions. And yet with the killing of a U.S. citizen, with the repeated violations of human rights, we never see the U.S. move to that result. So again, we see the hypocritical nature of this foreign policy and something that Americans like myself have been demanding change on for decades. All right. Ori Gitabi in Tel Aviv, let me come back to you and uh, find out more about some of the work your organization has been doing. Tell us more about what your group has seen and documented when it comes to the treatment of Palestinians by Israeli forces. What kind of instructions or orders do Israeli soldiers receive when they're operating in the occupied Palestinian territory? And is there a difference between the orders they receive and what actually happens on the ground? Yeah, uh, thank you, Foley. Uh, it's, a, it's a very broad question. And I think maybe one of the best ways I can start answering that is what I was told uh, six years ago. It was the last time I have served myself 
uh, in the occupied territories around the city of Kalkilia in the center of the West Bank. The first thing that I was told by my commander uh, when we arrived to that area was that our mission is to make all of the Palestinians feel like they cannot lift their head up. And this encapsulates uh, basically our military conduct in the occupied areas. Because when we look at what's going on in Mesafria, right, declaration of a firing zone in order to expel uh, uh, over 1,500 people, when we look at settler violence that is ravaging on without any accountability, not for the settlers and not for the military who doesn't stop them, when we look at home invasions, when we look at invasions to Palestinian cities and towns and villages on a daily basis like Janine, like the incident where uh, uh, Shirin was shot and killed. All of this is intended to make Palestinians feel like they cannot lift their head up. How will we do it? We will always send our soldiers, like me, into the Palestinians, into the Palestinian cities, into their homes. Yeah? And when we look uh, more specifically yeah, on the, on the uh, orders of uh, rules of engagement, which I assume that's what you meant, when are, when are we allowed, when are we not allowed to open fire? Yeah? There is a set of orders. There is a set of orders of what we're allowed to do, how and when we are, as soldiers are allowed to open fire against Palestinians. There is a set of orders. But in the end, when we look at what's happening on the ground, we have testimonies of soldiers who talk about, you know, in, in, in the end, when you're inside a city, when there, when there is violence, yeah, there is violence uh, inside those cities, there is violence against uh, uh, those soldiers in many cases, you will see that the, the rules are a little bit different than what's happening, yeah? I'll give you an example. A commander of uh, the Nahal Brigade a few years ago, uh, a, a stone is thrown on his car, okay, by, by a Palestinian youth, a kid, he, he exits the car and shoots that Palestinian who threw the, sto threw the stone in his back while he's escaping already. He's not a threat anymore. Mm -hmm. This commander is still a commander in the military, progressed in the military. He has zero accountability. Even all of the details I just told you are undisputable. Right. Yeah. And this is the guy who gives the orders to his soldiers of, how, of rules of engagement and completely violated them in that scene. So zero just accountability in, in most cases, you say. Sausen, let me come back to you just to bring it back to the case uh, with Shireen Abu Akleh here. Um, you have uh, an investigation uh, that was uh, carried out by the Palestinians. They've referred it now to the International Criminal Court. Al Jazeera also wants to see the International Criminal Court investigate this. Where do you see this case headed now? Can they be an independent, credible investigation to get to the bottom of what happened? Yes, I think the focus should be whether uh, the ICC will indeed open an investigation in the murder or assassination of Shirin Abu Akli. Because having submitted, uh, submitting the complaint to the ICC, meanwhile, doesn't mean anything but a political uh, legal statement that it was uh, submitted. But I think also, of course, this is the right thing because the question is what kind of investigation can lead to remedy of enforcement and accountability. And the ICC is the only body and legal frame that can lead 
to a specific remedy of personal accountability of specific people that will be found guilty in Shireen's death. And this is why going or submitting a complaint to the ICC is the most important thing on a legal level. On a political level, the U.S., and, and we heard that uh, a lot as well from the Secretary of State uh, and from the uh, UN ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., that they were demanding investigation. As I mentioned before, the Israelis didn't object to have a collaborative uh, investigation, and the EU as well was demanding. But these kinds of investigations are not enough because the, they will not lead to accountability. They will not lead to enforcement of imprisonment in case a person a specific person, whether the soldier, whether the commander of the uh, military unit that uh, was present in Jenin uh, the day that Shireen was shot, whether the commander of the uh, army itself. And this is why the ICZ is, is important, because right. it looks on personal accountability that can be enforced on an imprisonment level that no other investigation can do that. Other I mean investigations probably lead, sorry, just to, to finish the will probably lead to lack of political will to pressure Israel to take responsibility, which has really no basis and, and, and everyone knows that it will lead to nothing. Ahmed, do you agree with Sausen that a case at the ICC could lead to accountability? I think it's the best bet that we have. Uh, we certainly do not trust Israel to investigate itself. Ori has shed some light onto why that's a fruitless possibility. So we certainly look to the ICC because this is exactly what the ICC was established for. It was established so that in times where folks need to be held accountable to the standards of international law, that this body that uh, we created collectively, you know, as a world community would hold those folks accountable. But that the U.S. So doesn't support. Of course, again, there is a hypocritical nature with which U.S. foreign policy operates. And so the U.S. is fine with promoting the values of international human rights. But of course, they're not going to speak too loudly when it's their their colleagues, um, you know, perpetuating uh, these violations of human rights. And Israel, of course, is a repeat offender, which with uh, uh, with which the U.S. repeatedly defends. And so the ICC is certainly more trustworthy for us uh, mm. as, as a U.S. community. Now, I know you, you're a legal expert, and I was speaking, uh, Ahmed, a, a few weeks ago to uh, the former chief prosecutor of the ICC, who suggested that a civil case in the U.S. could also be an option to consider. Would you agree with that? You know, I think I'll leave that up to some other legal minds. You know, we're having our hands full right now with uh, making sure that at the grassroots level, folks know how to take action. We want to continue to uplift the calls for justice for the people of Masaf Ariyatta. We want to continue to uplift the calls for the ICC investigation of the killing of Sharina Abu uh, But as far as the legal solutions, I think there are plenty of organizations prepared to take those next steps. Okay, Ori, I'll give you the last word in Tel Aviv. Where do you see this case uh, going now? And is there any way, from your experience serving in the Israeli military, is there any way you think there can be accountability here? Look, unfortunately, I have to say that at this point in time, uh, Israel uh, is not allowing any type, not only of accountability about this, this case, but any type of accountability or criticism against the, uh, the way we occupy uh, the Palestinians for uh, decades. Yeah, we are not. We are seeing it uh, not only in this in this case, 
but in every type of criticism against Israel. Right. And unfortunately today, the, the mechanism, I'll just finish one word, really important. The mechanism that uh, our government today is using is weaponizing the term of anti-Semitism in order to block all criticism. And that is something we all, as people who strive for human rights, have to fight. Because criticism of Israel is definitely not anti-Semitism. Thank you so very much for a great conversation. Thank you for being with us, Ori Givati, Sausen Zahar, and Ahmed Abuznaid. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Nihad El-Abedi, Nandini Menon, Michael Harwood, and Jimmy Getahun. Studio sound was by Renjit Kurian. The program was edited by Hatim Shabar, Lynn and Wynn, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Monday.